I, I grew up in church, spent a lot of time in church, so I can tell you, and I t- I've been talking the last couple of weeks about wandering thoughts. Well, it wasn't uncommon. See, this was a, this is not something that's normal. This was, I think, the enemy distracting me, but there was times that my dad would be preaching. And to me, in my head, he sounded like the peanuts teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Didn't make any sense because I, I just tuned him out. And so as I would tune him out, what would happen is I, uh, my imagination would start to run wild. And I'd just start thinking about things. And, and so this morning, I want to capture some wandering thoughts. But I want you to take a minute here and, and just imagine something for me. Today, there's something going on this afternoon. I think we call it the um, Super Bowl. I'm unfamiliar with it, but uh, I understood that it's a... But I was thinking, what we're going to see... Who's going to watch it? I will be. Um, so what we're going to see is there's going to be a time where each team's going to come running onto the field, right? And there's going to be you know, probably pyrotechnics and, and fire, and there's going to be smoke and lights and cheering. Imagine the cheering as they run onto the field. Can you picture that? And then the, then the other team is going to come running onto the field. Same thing. All this pyrotechnics, all this, all this, what we would use a church word, we call it praise. All this praise is going to be going on. So I was just imagining this as we were singing this last song. All these teams are running onto the field. It's just crazy. And then it's silent. And then comes walking in from the side is Jesus comes walking into the stadium and goes to the 50-yard line and stands in the middle of that 50-yard line, what would happen? Just imagine. Without any pyrotechnics, without any fanfare, would it be possible that the place would erupt just screaming, We love you! Oh, I get chills thinking about it. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, that presence is so available to us right now. In the midst of distraction, we can silent it all and just love His presence. He is a good God. We sang that earlier. He's a good, good Father. Wow. I want to see that. I keep thinking, is there some way? I want to see that. I want to see it in such a way that, and, and, and not, I guess, yeah, selfishly, I guess I want to see it. I want him to be glorified in that way. I want, I want it to be that he walks into the room or he walks in onto the scene and as he walks onto the scene he is so glorified that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That day's going to come. That day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord. And as believers we can shout, we love you. You are Lord and we love you. You are our Father and we adore you. Is that where you're at as a believer? I hope that stirs you up some this morning. I, I, uh, I don't know if I slept funny or what, but I have this wild imagination going today. 
just envisioning what he would be like or what it would be like just to have him in the room with us right here, right now. We um, have spent the last month talking about a couple things as I switch gears here. We started off the year talking about risking everything. Are you, are, you, are you in that place? Do you feel like it's been a month now? Do you feel like in the last 30 days you've risked everything? Like traveled the world, gone to India, done things that were really... Oh wait, we have some here that have done that. Where are you though in your walk? Are you in a place in your life where you are risking everything for Him? Because why wouldn't we? He risked everything for us. And then, I, then we went in and we started talking about the church for four weeks. And, and that a church really uh, is not um, so much the structure of it all or the building of it all. It really has to do with how He looks at us and how He designs us. It, it is really a group of believers that are being discipled that will go out and be laborers. And, that, and, and some of the functions of it, that's who we are, but the functions of it are, are we come together and we praise Him. Another function is that we nurture one another and disciple one another, and then we go out and evangelize and show mercy. That's the church. And so, but for the church to be all that, we have to be willing to risk everything in that. So, some of the hang-ups I find with myself is when I, when I get to a place where it's time to risk everything, um, thoughts start to creep in and I start to uh, rationalize. I, there's, how many times have you been in a scary situation? And you began to rationalize that this is probably not something I should be doing. Who's ever been snow skiing or snowboarding? You know, there's, there's these slopes that they have up there, and there's, there's the bunny hills. Those are good and safe. And then there's those that are more intermediate-type slopes. Uh, and then they have the black diamonds and then the double black diamonds. And it's just that. They are scary. And, and there's been times that... Uh, this has been years since I've been skiing, but I can remember uh, you get off the, the, the chairlift and you ski on around, and usually they have kind of a gradual slope next to the double black diamond slopes. And these double black diamond slopes are extremely steep. And I can remember skiing up to the edge, and you're on the edge of the slope, and you still can't see the face of it. And so you have a decision to make. Now, for me, if there's people with me, then that's good because that peer pressure <laughs> helps me to be more risky. But, but you have a decision to make. I can't see what's on the other side of that. So I have to take a risk and point my tips downhill and go. And... Generally, what happens if you've never done it before, the first thing you do is you you start to commit, and then you stop, and the next thing you know, you roll. Because to do it right, you have to fully commit. Because not only is it so steep that you can't see the slope, it's so steep that if you don't lean forward, you'll crash. So not only is it risk everything and take that step, but it's risk everything and then stay forward. 
Stay on the tips of those skis because when you're on the tips of the skis, then you have the ability to turn. It's when you lay back, you lose all your ability to control yourself. So you have to lean in. You have to really commit. When you risk everything skiing, you better really lean in. Because even some of that hesitation will cause you to get hurt or stumble. Now, I've not snowboarded, so we won't go there. It looks just like falling down a lot. Falling down with style. But my, my point with this is, is sometimes we think that that's what risking everything is with the Lord. And yeah, we can't necessarily see what He has in store for us. We can't necessarily see what's on the other side of stepping over that edge. But what happens is the more you experience your skis, the more you start to understand, yes, if I'll just lean in and stay forward on them, they will steer. They will control my way down. And the more times that I spend with the Lord and I just lean in on Him, I'm going to lean in on you, Lord. I'm just going to press in and trust you. And I'll take that step. I will risk it. I will risk everything and step into whatever you have for me. He will stay in control. He will still get you to where you need to be. But you have to be willing to risk everything. Now, the next few weeks, what I want to have us look at is his promises. These are promises that he's given us. There's, there's, the Bible is full of promises, and we won't cover them all in the next six weeks or so. But the thing about his promises is that they are always going to be fulfilled. And so we as, uh, as believers or as a church, as we start to think about, okay, if I risk everything, how, what do I do? what's that mean? Can I trust the Lord? And I would say, absolutely you can trust Him. And we're going to look at His nature today. The nature of God is one that is completely trustworthy and unchanging. On your bulletin, it says, God is absolute. He is absolute. Now, Webster's, which is a great place for pastors to go, that's like, so there's, there's the Bible that you study, Bible, good. There's uh, commentaries to study, and then there's Webster's. I think Webster's is used quite a bit. But in Webster's, ab- absolute is this. It says, free from imperfection. It also says, free from mixture. It's pure. And as I started to think about God and, and how absolute He really is, yes, He is perfect. He's complete and perfect. But the other thing about God is that He's free of mixture. Now, why, what's that even mean? See, what I love about God is culture cannot change God. Whatever is going on, He will still remain unchanged. We, if, we live in a, if we were to move to India... In a matter of time, we would have to change because of the culture that's there. If we move to another, I was sharing with someone the other day, we lived down in Temecula for, for a little while, and the culture there was different than the culture here. What I realized, the longer I lived there, sooner or later, we were going to have to buy a nice car. 
Because the old car I bought off my in-laws really didn't fit in. It was big, blue, and old. And so what happened is the culture down there was one that people were always trying to keep up with one another and have the newest and nicest vehicles, right? But we all see it in our lives. What culture are you trying to embrace? You know, a real practical, practical one today would be is, are you going to be a part of the, the uh, Panthers culture? Or are you going to be a part of the Broncos culture? <laughs> and they're still looking for a stadium. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> That'll get me started on football because I'm bad about it. But here's the awesome thing about culture. Culture has no impact on God. Because God is completely unchanging and completely trustworthy. I heard, maybe I've shared this already, but think about this thought. I'd heard, a, a, I can't remember his name, but it was a podcast I was watching. And he had said that um, we're not necessarily to go out and combat culture, bad culture, bad things. We're not supposed to go out and come against it and, and necessarily put it down or... or be you know, in opposition against it. But what we need to do is we need to become culture creators. Now, how, what's that look like? Well, that looks like us embracing a trustworthy, unchanging God, letting Him direct our heart, and then building a culture around that. What's building a culture even look like? It looks like living with one another in a functional family way. I've talked about this many times, being a functional family church in a dysfunctional family community. What's that look like? It looks like us creating a godly culture. And, and actually, let me rephrase it. It looks like God creating a culture within us. But how do we become that? How do we get to the point where we feel like we can step out and be all that God has intended us to be, risk everything, be the true church? How do we get there? Well, it takes commitment. You know, I, there's, there's times in our lives that we won't commit because of uh, the many times that we've been let down. We're afraid of commitment because we have trust issues. How many times have you promised somebody and not followed through on it? I mean, and, and then, then you come, it happens with our children, you know, that they get in trouble, they want something, but they're, they've been kind of naughty, and so it's like, no, 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 you're not going to get, but I promise, I promise, I promise. Just this one time, please, I promise, I promise, I promise. But that's happened so many times in our lives that the promises don't mean anything anymore. I swear. Well, what do you swear? Because it doesn't mean anything when it's the culture that man has created. But when a promise is made and it's a godly promise, it's unchanging and it's trustworthy. We read all throughout Scripture that the promises of God reveal His particular and eternal purposes, to which He is unchangeably committed and upon which believers can totally depend. So, how do you get to the place where you can actually step over and lean in on Him? 
You have to get to a place where you can completely depend upon him. This has been, I'm sure you've all had struggles in this. I've had struggles in this and completely depending upon him. I've ended up in situations where there's been issues in my life. And so what happens is I go into the solution mode. You have a problem and then you start solving the problem. And then when you can't solve the problem, you finally get to a point where you're saying, okay, God, solve the problem. But we always call upon him last. I shouldn't say we always do, but there's times that we have. What I said here earlier is the promises of God reveal his particular and eternal purposes to which he is unchangeably committed and upon which believers can totally, totally depend these promises are, however, conditional upon a couple things. Actually, one primary thing, and that's our obedience. It's hard to obey when you don't believe. Last week, I challenged us to not necessarily call ourselves Christians, but to be a believer. I, I challenged us to be in that place in your life where others would refer to you as a Christian, but not to call yourself one. But to be a believer, to be a disciple, and to be a laborer. And as you be those things, people would refer to you as a Christian. But as we lean in to do those things, we, we have to trust and depend upon God. And it's hard. I get it. Because the human nature in, a, in us would say, no, I'm not going to lean in on God right now. I'm going to do this part on my own, or I'm going to wait. And what I feel like he's directing me to do, I'm going to wait and, and see. There's, it's, uh, there used to be a rule of thumb that when uh, you talk about business, culture, whatever you want to call it, but when you would start to implement change in culture, they would say 20% of people would hop on right away. About 50% of them would wait and see. And then the remaining 30% or so would just never get on board. Today, I think we have a lot of wait and seers. I don't know if it's even 50% anymore, but when change comes, I think a lot of people just say, I'm going to wait and see. And then what happens is, I think they, they then take their filter and they put their filter up because that's how they're going to see. How does it please me? How do I benefit in it? And that begins the wait and see process. But a good believer is one that says, whatever the Lord's directing me to do, I'm going to do, regardless of the benefit that I may find in it all. I think part of the discussion that Melinda and I had earlier was about the fact that that regardless of who we are, God wants to be glorified through us. And it's not about whether or not we are anything. We sang that song earlier. And I can't remember the words, but it basically, in summary, was, you know, not me, Lord, but you I want to be, I want to see glorified. Let's go to the scriptures. Numbers 23, verse 29. This is where we find out that he is absolutely trustworthy. Absolute in it. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Think about it. The same things that keep us from committing in anything really have a lot to do with lack of trust with man. But then stop for a minute and consider who God is. God is absolutely not man. God doesn't need to lie. God doesn't need to coerce. God is God. He doesn't technically need us, but he chooses us. So who is God that we should question his promises? Again, as it said, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. As he has said, and will he not do it? Or as he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before ages began. He promised what? He promised eternal life. So as he has promised many things, one promise is he has promised us eternal life. That is a promise that he will fulfill. Our role in it is the obedience part. Will you be obedient in believing that, yes, he will fulfill the opportunity for us to live an eternal life? And then promises will be fulfilled and inherited by those who are patient and faithful. Patient and faithful. Those aren't fun words. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. Who's patient? Yeah, I didn't think so. Nobody. Patience is hard. And, and here's the thing we used to talk about. Never pray for patience, right? How many has, has heard that? You know, I, I don't know if that's even biblical. But the, the idea behind it is if you pray for patience, then what's going to happen? Trials will come. Whoa, trials. Trials, trials, and more trials. You know, the thing is, though, is, first of all, he's a good, good father, right? I think it's in James that we read that God, God doesn't send the trials. You know, that's a big misnomer, I believe, in Christianity, that, that God is just uh, working things out in me, and that's why I'm struggling through life right now. He's a good God all the time. Trials come because we tend to step out of His will. So what happens is, is um, we're walking in God's will. Everything is, you know, at peace. There might be things going on around us, but there's peace. Um, there's understanding. There's purpose. There's design. And then we kind of wander out from underneath him, and then we're going through it. And, and, and all the Christianese, the things we learned as a Christian to say, we still know outside of his will. And then people will come in and say, man, you're really going through it. Well, yeah, God's just working some things out in me. No, you know what it is? He's wanting you back over here because this is where there's purpose and design and peace and then over here, this is where it's discomfort and ugly. And he just wants you to step back into his will. 
It's not that he's trying to make me something because it's outside of his will. He can't do much with you. But it's in his will that he can purpose you and design you and disciple you to become that, that believer, that son and daughter that he has purposed for you to be. So that was a side note, but I, I want us to understand that, that patience is a good thing. And when we ask the Lord to help us be more patient, I still struggle with the idea that that will bring upon us trial. I think what that does is when we say, God, help us to be more patient, it keeps us within his will. And in the midst of trial, see, what I'm saying is when you're in his will, it's not that trials won't come. He won't bring the trial. But it's when trials come that he will bring you through the trial. And as he brings you through the trial, you'll have peace and purpose and design in it. Hebrews 6, 13. I think that'll be on the screen as well. But let me read it to you. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. See, we talk about Abraham and the fact that he was promised he would be the father of a great nation. And that his offspring, Isaac, would be the beginning of that. But what also came out of that was that out of this great nation was born who? Jesus. See, when, when we read about this promise that God swore by himself because there is no greater authority than God himself wherein to swear by or to promise by, it's like taking out a loan. Uh, and if you ever take out a home loan, and you can take out sometimes additional loans against that home to do improvements to it, to whatever. The promise on that loan is, the house, because if you don't pay it, guess what they're going to take from you? The house. See, God's the collateral he put up was himself, and there is no problem with he being the collateral, because he will always pay his debt. In fact, he paid it through his son, Jesus. So, as he was promising to Abraham, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Abraham patiently waited to obtain the promise. And then later on, the promise was fulfilled again through his son, Jesus. The thing you'll find as you read through scriptures is that God will promise something and you'll see it fulfilled. In many ways, the Old Testament was the promise being made and the New Testament was the promise being fulfilled. So let me read on for... This is verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves and all their daughters and, and, and in all their disputes. An oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show convincingly to the heirs the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to 
to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's a mouthful. But there's a couple things I want you to get out of there. One is that he's unchangeable. When he promised Abraham many, 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 many years ago, he hasn't changed that promise. And we saw it fulfilled. And we're seeing it fulfilled as we choose to obey and to walk into that promise. He is unchanging. In Psalms 110 verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, but the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Malachi 3, 6-7 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? There was a history throughout the Old Testament where Israel would be would call upon the Lord and be close to him, and then they would turn away from him. Then they would turn to him again and then turn away from him. Then turn to him again and turn away from him. And the whole time that they're doing this, God was unchanging. Here in Malachi, it talks about, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed, because I have already promised... As he had promised, running short on time, but as he had promised, he would fulfill. Jacob, the children of Jacob were through the same bloodline that I talked about earlier with Abraham. And so they were out of line. And I'm sure the anger that the Lord had because of them being out of his will was great. But he is unchanging and he kept them so he could fulfill his promise. James 1.17 says, For every good gift and every perfect gift comes, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. There is no variation, no variation or change. In Mark chapter 4, we read of the very nature of God. In a story where he's with his disciples, there's a, have you been in a place maybe in your life where you're just going through it and you're thinking, oh, the Lord has abandoned me. He's turned his back on me. You know, he was so close to me and now he's so distant. The disciples and the Lord and Jesus had been, had been ministering throughout the area, or Jesus had been ministering. And he tells them in Mark, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep in the cushion, or on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, and this is, how many times have you been in the storm? And you think he's been ignoring the storm you're going through. Earlier I prayed that God sees us. 
He knows us. There's nothing that we're going through that he isn't keenly aware of. As he was resting in that boat in the midst of the storm, and the disciples knew that their life was going to end right there, right then, they were like, he doesn't care. Let's shake him awake. How can he be sleeping in the midst of this? He can sleep in the midst of the storm because he knows the very nature of his father. He knew the promise that God had for him would be fulfilled no matter what storm may come into his life or what storm may come into our lives. God will fulfill his promises. That's the part I want us to understand this morning before we leave today is what is the nature of God? The nature of God is one that's unchanging and one that you can completely trust. And when he has promised to have you fulfill something in your life, he will see you through to to the fulfillment of it. I was getting ready to uh, go on a mission trip as a teenager, and I've shared this story once before, I'm sure, but I, I can remember getting excited for the trip, and it was Janice Corcoran pulled me into the office one day, and she says, you know, don't be afraid to fly. Don't be afraid of the travel, because it's not your time until it's your time. It's, your not, it's not your time to go to heaven until he decides it is, and when he decides, nothing you say, do, or could will will change that. And as the disciples are on the boat, and the boat's filling up with water, and it's tossing back and forth, and they're wondering where the Dramamine is, because I'm sure it was bad. There's Jesus, peacefully sleeping in the stern of the boat, on a cushion. I mean, I I just envision this. In the midst of the storm, he's at perfect peace. That's the capacity that we have as believers in the midst of the storm, to be at perfect peace. We tend to be in places like we hear in the disciples saying, and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Matthew, it says, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And in Luke, it says, master, master, we are perishing. The challenge is, as believers, are you willing to step off and lean in and risk everything for the sake of the gospel? Or are you still struggling with some trust issues? And my encouragement is, is our God is completely absolute. He's trustworthy. He's unchanging. You can lean in and you can trust Him with all your heart and have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm sure the disciples look back at that, and let me, let me tell you why I believe you can do this, because he did wake up. In the midst of the storm, he awoke, because they pestered him enough, I guess. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. I... I know he was speaking to the elements, but in some ways, I wonder how much of that peace be still he meant for his disciples as well. In the midst of the storm, peace be still. Lean in. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then they were filled with great fear and said to one another, When then is this, that even the wind and the sea 
Or who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's our God. Jesus, an exact imprint of his Father. In the midst of whatever storm you're going through, I would encourage you, lean in. In the midst of the storm, see what happens is it's the storm that causes us to retreat. If the worship team could come. It's in the midst of the storm that we start to retreat and start to pull back. I want you all to consider something real quick. What are some areas of your life that you've been finding victory in? What are some areas in your life that you started to see victory and then maybe a storm began to happen? And so you started to pull back. Maybe there's something that's a thought that's passed through your head that said, you know what, I would love to do, and then you name it. What is it that God said, you know, that thought probably wasn't your own. It could have very well been the Lord saying, I want you to do whatever that might be. But then a storm comes in, a distraction creeps in. I've seen it numerous times where people will start to step out into ministry, and the next thing you know, things start to happen in their life that becomes very distracting. It's a storm. But it's in the midst of that storm that I'm going to encourage us all to not pull back, not to retreat, but to risk everything, lean into him. A very trustworthy and unchanging God that in the midst of the storm, even he could say, peace, be still. And the peace may not be what's going on around us, but we can have that peace within us. That's our God. As we look at his promises the next several weeks, our God is one that will fulfill each of those promises. Our God is one that says, when you risk everything, you can lean in on me, and we're going to have peace in the midst of every storm that we encounter. Do not retreat. Do not pull back. But lean in and trust in him. Would you all stand? Sing this last song this morning. I... I want you to consider where have you retreated in your life. You can come up here and lay it down at the altar. You can do it where you're sitting. But I want you to stop and think. There's some of us that haven't realized what it is that God wants us to do in our lives. Because every time a storm happens, we retreat. See, Jesus and the disciples are trying to sail across the water to the other side. Because the ministry on the one side of the water had been done, and now it was time to go to the other side and do a new ministry. And what was interesting is the ministry they had on the other side was uh, bigger and it maybe even more scary. It was when they got off that boat that they were faced with a demonic man. They could have retreated and gone back to where ministry had already been done. But what had been done there had been done. What's on the other side is where we need to go and do. That's, that's the place he's calling us to be. Do you find yourself as a Christian maybe in a, in a stuck place? Well, maybe it's time to be on the boat and then in the midst of the storm continue to sail across to the other side. So let's sing this song together this morning. And as we're singing it, there'll be people that'll pray for you if you come forward. But I really want you to consider what is that that God's leading you to?
and commit that I'm going to lean in on a trustworthy and unchanging God.